guy that was out fishing, and all of a sudden, a frog jumped in his boat. And the frog looked up at him and said, I'm a beautiful princess, and if you give me a kiss, I'll marry you, and I am going to give you riches and call you to royalty and let you be able to live a life that's incredible. All you got to do is give me a kiss. And he looked down and kept on fishing. She said, didn't you hear what I said? I'm actually a beautiful princess. If you would kiss me, I'll turn into that princess and I'm going to give you riches and I'll marry you and you'll be a part of royalty and you'll have a life like you can't imagine. And he reached over and grabbed the frog and threw the frog in the basket and kept fishing. Then he ended up going into shore. He took the basket, put it in his car. He ended up driving home. And when he got home, he went and sat on his couch holding the basket and he opened it up, set the frog next to him. She looked up and said, so are you going to kiss me? Because if you do, I'll marry you and I'll let you be a part of royalty and I'll give you riches like you can't imagine. And he looked over and said, nah, I'd rather have a talking frog. (laughs) We talked last week about the idea that God wants us to rise up. God wants us to live life with passion. We need men to do that. We need women to do that. We need to live that way. And so in the midst of that all, we understood something. In Zephaniah, God said, I will search Jerusalem with the lamb, and I'm going to hunt down anybody whose spirit is stagnant, who says in their heart that God will not do good or God will not do evil. God looks and says, I want you to know, I literally am going to judge people who are complacent, who are lukewarm. Jesus said in Revelation that if you're lukewarm, man, I wish you'd be hot and on fire for me or cold and and hate me, but don't just be in the middle. Don't just be in the middle. Live life with passion. And we talk here about having a passionate commitment to Christ's cause and community. That's why this church exists, that we have a passionate commitment to him. And we're not halfway in what we do. And God's great desire is for us to do that. When we live the passion in life, we're living the incredible life. And we live a life that lacks passion. Then we're settling for something that God never wanted us to have. And we need to understand that God's great desire is that you and I would know a truth that comes from Jesus Christ in his word. And when you know that truth, you'd truly be his disciple. And you would live your life for the life it's meant to be lived. And that truth would set you free. And you're free to love. And you're free to fill. And you're uh, uh, free uh, to, to begin to experience these amazing things with God. And in the chapter in Jeremiah, I want you to be in. Jeremiah says something. God says something through Jeremiah. I don't want you to miss verse 10. Cursed be the one who does the Lord's work negligently. Cursed be anybody who just half-heartedly does God's work or doesn't have an intent and purpose to do God's work. Cursed are you and I when we live that way. See, Jesus in John 10 said that there's a thief that's come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. And, And this abundant life is found when you and I intentionally with focused laser vision live out this great calling God has for our life. And he has a life like that for you. He wants you to experience it. He wants you to be a part of it. But let's read on and what it says. Cursed be the one who does the Lord's work negligently. And cursed be the one who restrains his sword from blood. Now, now what I want to make sure of is that, that we understand the context. That God was calling for the children of Israel in that day and time to rise up and face the challenge before them. And to go into battle and not try to hide in the ranks. Not be just safe. 
He said, I want you to go out there and live. I want you to go out there and fight. I want you to go out there and put yourself on the line. So I I don't want any of the parents here to to misunderstand this verse. I I don't want any parent here to say, ooh, ooh. I'm not going to restrain my sword from blood. Boy, I can't wait for my kids. You know, I don't. It's not about that. It's about understanding that we are to take down the gates of hell. It's about understanding that God wants us to be people who are invested. And then God in context says, I want the children of Israel to know something. I love you, but I hate the Moabites. And God says, I love you so much I've called you to go out and to actually fight. I've called you to go out and win. I've called you to rise up. He said, I love you so much I've given you a life like that. But the Moabites I hate. And notice how he shows his hatred for them. Verse 11. Moab has been at ease since his youth. He has also been undisturbed. Like wine on its dregs. He has not been emptied from vessel to vessel. Nor has he gone into exile. Therefore, he retains his flavor. And his aroma has not changed. Now now again, I want to make sure we understand what's going on here. God says... I don't want you to be a cursed person who is just stagnant in spirit, who's not living with passion. And he said, I want you to go and to give yourself with intention to the great calling I have in your life. And God has a great calling in your life. And he wants you at a time like this to be the person you're meant to be. And then he said, but Moab, I've hated them. So I've let them be at ease. They haven't had to face any challenges. They haven't had to go in the pit with the lion on the snowy day. They haven't had to endure heartache and pain. They haven't had to rise up in the moment. And he said, I I just let them be at ease. I've let them be flabby. And he uses the term of winemaking. I've let them just settle. It's horrible for wine to just settle. If it just sits there without being aerated, without being swirled, without being emptied vessel to vessel, it's going to actually turn sour. And God says that, you know, you and I, when we live a life that's just at ease, that's just comfortable, God says that life stinks. He says, I don't want you to be that way. I want you to go out, and I want you to live with passion, and I want you to experience the things I have for you. And what Ronnie said in the beginning is true. If you and I are going to say to God, okay, God, here I am. I want to be who you want me to be and live the life you have for me. Get ready for what that means. It means it's going to be great, great, great times of celebration and passion and joy. It means in the end, you're going to always conquer. In the end, you're always going to experience everything God has for you. But here's what I don't want you to miss. He also means there's some times you're going to face pain and you're going to face challenges and you're going to face heartache. I got to have you not miss that. You see, uh, there's a chance that if you've been here over the last three or four weeks that you're saying, you know what, I come here and you talk about how much God loves me and you talk about how much he cares about me and you talk about how in the end I'm going to end up experiencing these amazing things. He goes, but Chuck, I'm hurting. Chuck, I've been wounded. And I look around and I see other people with their hands in the air and I just want to cry. I see other people living lives that are joyous and I don't have it. What's wrong with me? And I want to tell you that it may be you have done something to put yourself in that predicament. But even if you have, I want to promise you that God wants to be the God of all comfort for you and care for you and love you and heal your broken heart. We're going to see that in a minute. Maybe you didn't do it. Maybe, maybe circumstances have caused it or people have just literally backstabbed you and betrayed you. Maybe you're still carrying some pain from the past. 
And, and you say, you know what, I just, I, I'm not over it yet. Is God love me? I feel like crying. And I want to tell you, he couldn't love you more than he does. But here's where I want you to grab, and then we're going to go into each of those. Please don't miss that God has made you to feel. And when you're normal, when you're healthy, when you're spiritually sensitive to God, you're going to feel. You're going to feel. You're going to feel the pain and you're going to feel the joy. You're going to feel the times of wanting to cry and agony. And you're going to feel the great times of exhilaration. You were made to feel. And by the way, God made you in his image so you would feel. That's a big part of what it means to be in the image of God. And when you and I are going to be like Christ, we're going to experience that. And the last thing God wants for any of us is to be numb to it. Don't be numb. Don't be hard-hearted. Don't run from it. What I want to share today is the good news of Jesus Christ is that you need to embrace it, knowing that pain and tears are only for a time, but God's joy is going to be never-ending and for all eternity. My wife, Pam, and uh, by the way, I'm about to share something very personal about Pam, and, and, and I know some of you asked this question. Do you get her permission to share this? And the answer is no. That's not true. I do. I get her permission. And what I'm about to share with you is very personal for her. And she said, yeah, Chuck, share it. Uh, Pam was diagnosed years ago with fibromyalgia, which some of you have. But back then, no one knew what it was. And they weren't sure how to proceed with any kind of realms of treatment. So her body always ached. She had these migraine headaches that were actually born out of that. And, and she would times at night where she'd just lay in bed in pain, hurting. When she'd come to church and someone would hug her, I mean, she'd literally get away and not let them see and she'd have to cry because she hurt. And uh, so she just felt like she always was going to be like this. And uh, our doctor, who was an amazing doctor, a very caring doctor at Kaiser Hospital, quick to diagnose this, trying to help her find a way to treat it. He uh, decided to try something. He put her on Prozac. And uh, what happened is I watched my wife become numb. I mean, she wasn't laughing like she normally did. She wasn't uh, enjoying things like she normally did. She did sleep better. But when she got up, she seemed like she was tired. And uh, I just kind of watched her just disengage. But at least she didn't hurt. And uh, then I, I noticed we'd come to church, and man, a lot of us would have our hands in the air, and Pam would try and try, and, and it was like she wasn't connecting. And... Uh, she just seemed to be missing out. And then she went on a women's retreat. And it was one of those women's retreats where God moved in an amazing way. And on that Saturday night, a woman got up and shared how she was feeling. And people walked over and they put their hands on her and began to pray. And Pam looked around as everybody else is crying, weeping with this woman who's weeping. And she couldn't do it. Not one tear. And uh, she thought that's it. I'd rather be in pain. I'd rather feel. Now, I, again, I want to say this is how we had to proceed in our life. I'm not giving any advice to anyone else on this. If you have a doctor, you talk with your doctor. But in Pam's case, she went back and she literally took the pool of pills and just flushed them. She said no more. I'd rather hurt. I'd rather be in pain so I can cry with people. I want to be able to laugh and cry. And I'd rather feel than to feel nothing. And she came home and I started watching her rebound and I watched her be able to cry and I watched her be able to laugh and I watched her be the woman that I had married and, and I watched her. And if you went to Pam today at a time she's crying, she would tell you, at least I can cry. 
At least I can feel. And, and if you're sitting here today and you're saying, you know what, I have this pain, I have this hurt, does God love me? The answer is yes, he loves you. Oh, he couldn't love you more than he does. Listen to what it says in Psalm 51, verse 15. It says, oh Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh, Lord, you will not despise. See, sometimes I think we, I'm hurting God. Do you love me? And God goes, oh, I love you. And I want you to know in a moment like this, I want to be the God of all comfort to you. I want to be near you. Now, we're not to be dwelling in it constantly. We're not to be overwhelmed by it. But we're not to run from this either. Oswald Chambers, a girl in our college ministry, sent this to me. Said this, why shouldn't we experience heartache? Through those doorways, God is opening up ways of fellowship with his son. Why shouldn't we experience heartache? Oswald Chambers said, that's how we fellowship with the son. Remember, Jesus wept. Jesus was a man acquainted with sorrows. Jesus knew how to feel that pain. In John chapter 11, verse 35, it says Jesus wept because people around him were hurting. And he looked at him and he didn't disengage from the moment. And even though, even though he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he knew that time of victory was coming, he still, he still felt with the people who were feeling this. And when he looked over the city of Jerusalem, he cried. And there ought to be times you and I cry for people and hurt for people. And we find our spirit move that way. It's a part of being the kind of people we should be and having the heart that Jesus wants us to have. It's a big part of that. That's his great desires that you and I would understand it. Tony Dungy, who was a coach of the Indianapolis Colts and a very strong Christian man, he's an analyst right now for football, said that they had adopted a child and they found out early on this child wasn't crying when it should cry. And then they discovered literally to their horror that their child could not feel pain. He fell off a high slide one time, broke his arm, went on playing, not knowing how severe his injury was. He uh, went out, reached and touched a hot object and burned his hand and he didn't take his hand off because he didn't know it. And he said, Tony Dungy said this, he said, I realize that pain is a gift from God. I realize it's a gift from God. It sometimes helps us to know to avoid something and to get away from it. Or it helps us to be able to understand what's happening around us. This little boy actually hit somebody really hard, hurt them, but he didn't feel anything. And so he didn't know that in that moment he was inflicting pain. And God says that the pain and reality, this heart that can feel, is a gift from him. And you and I do not want to run from that. We want to embrace it. And here's part of the reason why. When we do, we grow closer to God. We have the heart for God that feels what he feels. And so that's why. Why do we care about reaching out and caring for children in the Corona Norco area who don't have a bed to sleep in or food to eat. It's hopefully because we can feel the heart of God. Why do we care about this whole slum in Kenya that we want to eradicate the heartache and the pain there? Because we have the heart of God. Why do we care about children in India and youth in India? Because we have the heart of God. Why do we want to tackle sex trafficking in this area, which we're going to talk about more in the spring? Because we have the heart of God. And listen to what it says in Psalm 38 verse eight, or 34 verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who have a crushed spirit. Today, if you're hurting and you're in pain, God wants to be there for you. He wants to save you. He wants to lift you out of it. But he wants you to feel it with him. And he's near to you. He's near to you in that moment. He cares about that moment. 
Uh, I, I know that I talk about it all the time, but I love, I mean, I love my grandchildren and I love my godchildren. And uh, I got to tell you, bonding with them and having them be close to me and, and connecting with them is a high priority in my life. And, and I want to be open to that every time I can. And uh, it seemed like two weeks ago that my, my grandson, Liam, entered in a, a new cycle of life where all of a sudden he wasn't calling me his favorite anymore. And I thought, what's going on? And normally when I would walk in, he'd reach out those arms to me and want to be in my arms. And, and, and I walked in and I said, Liam. And he just turned and held on to Jill, my daughter-in-law. And I thought, who polluted his mind? What is going on here? And so I was waiting for my moment. I knew what to do. You see, you got to understand whether this is good or bad. Uh, and maybe some will think it's bad, but it's just how life is in our, our lives. With uh, uh, my grandchildren and with my godchildren, with Noah and Maya and with Liam and Eleni, if they get hurt, man, I'm right there for them. I mean, if they, they fall. Now, 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 you need to know that Pam and Jill and Talia aren't that way. The other day, Noah was running and he fell and he got hurt. And, and, and so Pam and, and Talia are just like, shake it off, buddy. I'm like, forget shake it off, buddy. Come here, man. And I'm hugging on them and patting them and babying them. I mean, that's what I do. And they said, well, you're going to make them soft. I said, no, you guys can be the sadists. I'm there for them. And uh, so I was waiting for my moment. And Liam got hurt. And he turned and he looked at me with big old huge tears coming down his face, crying in the midst of the pain. And I swept him up in my arms and I cuddled him and I cared for him. You know, Jill had said, take it off. Pam said, shake it off. Not Papa. Man, he's got him and he's hugging him. And I got to ask you, who do you think's his favorite now? <laughs> Jill just went to take him to Disneyland. He's screaming and crying and reaching out his arms and, and doesn't want to go to Disneyland because he's smart. He'd rather be with Papa. Those times of bonding you can't miss. Now, I would never hurt him on purpose. That's not true. Um, <laughs> I, I might apply the, uh, the board of discipline to the seat. Of, you know. Anyway, um, but, but the truth of the matter is, is, is in those moments when it happens, he and I can bond. And I don't want you to miss that one of the greatest joys in your life may rise out of a moment of tears. And I don't want you to miss that God cares about every tear you ever shed. He cares about them, and he actually treasures them. In Psalm 56, verse 8, it says this, You have taken account of my wanderings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Now, I want you to know that God has a path for your life, and he doesn't want you to wander. But when you wander off that path, when you're wandering in life, God loves you. He's never going to quit loving you. He's never going to quit caring for you. As a matter of fact, he longs to be close to you more than you ever long for that. He has an intense craving for you in your life. And it says, you have taken account of my wanderings. When you have wandered, by the way, the whole idea behind this particular verse in particular is when you felt lonely, when all of a sudden you're thinking, God, do I have any meaning? No one seems to notice. No one seems to care. God says, I cared about every time you felt that way and thought that way. And then it goes on to say this. You have taken account of my wanderings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? You know, the Bible tells us there's a book of life that God writes down the name of every person who names the name of Jesus Christ. And if your name is not written in the book of life, you will not go to heaven. But the Bible also tells us here that God has another book. And it's a book about you. 
where he cares about every aspect of who you are and everything within your life. Yeah, I don't know if you're aware of how much God cares about you and how much he thinks about you. And he really does care about every intricate, intimate detail of your life. And he's never going to miss that. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is in Psalm 139. And it says this, in, starting in verse 1. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thoughts from afar. Listen to this. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Did you catch that? He scrutinizes every step you take. He cares about every moment you're experiencing, everything you ever do. He cares about everything you ever say. Verse 4 says this, Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. God cares about everything you say, everything you do, every place you are. You matter to him that much. Now, I don't know if you get amazed about that, but I got to tell you, I get amazed about it. Uh, the other day I'm sitting, Pam and I just finally got to move to Corona and, and we're in our new house, which we love. And we're looking at all the things we can do. I mean, there's so much we could do. We've got to pick and choose. We can't do everything, which is good. And I'm sitting there and I'm actually praying, God, should we buy that piece of furniture? Should we pitch this one? Or, or Lord, what should we do with the backyard? Or, or God, and I'm praying. And you know what really amazes me? Here's the thing. I know God cares about that. Does God care about my house? Yes, he does. Does God care whether I, I do this? God's enjoying it with me. And I don't know about, if you catch, he loves you like that. I feel like I have a pretty important job with a lot of responsibility. And I love it. But, but you know what? Leading out with a staff, you know, of a 200 and some when you put together the school and the church and, and trying to manage that and think about it and praying over needs and making sure we meet needs and, and vision overseas. And, and, and I love it all. But I, the other day I'm in the midst of a meeting and we're talking what I felt like was some high level important stuff. And I hear one word. I hear the word guck. It's my godson Noah. And he's run into his mom's office coming out of preschool. And he's like, guck. And, and, and I look in and everybody else wants to go on meeting. And I'm like, forget it. Something more important just came up. I get to be guck. And he runs in to show me his new toy and to show me what he wrote on his paper. And I want to tell you, it, that to me was just as important as everything else that mattered. And I'm not saying the other things aren't important. They are. But Noah's that important to me. And I want you to know that God cares about you that way. He really does. You might say, but there's all these issues going on in the world. And God, by the way, cares about all the issues going on in the world. But he also cares where you sit. Matter of fact, where you're sitting right now, God cared about that. When you get up and start walking, God cares about that. When you get in your car and you drive, I want to tell you, he really cares about how some of you drive. <laughs> does God care about what you eat? You know what he does. It's, that's why it says in second, or 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, why is that a big deal? Because God cares about you that much. And, and so 